Alright, well we are at Bauma 2022 and I am at the Wacker Newson stand and I am joined by Alex Grissom. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for visiting us on our roof here at Bauma 2022. Yeah, this is Alex Gressner and uh, happy to be uh, sometime with you today. Yeah, for sure. So this is actually my first Bauma. So I really went when I was contacting your team and you said oh, I booked a room to do the podcast. I was like a room at, at the stand, like, and I was trying to imagine what what it was going to look like. And I get here and everyone's got buildings on their stands, so it's. It's a completely another level that I'm used to in Australia, which is it's crazy how big it is. I think you missed out if that's your first one. Uh, no, it's a, it's an incredible event. I mean, you, we di- honestly we didn't expect this uh, after the three years uh, COVID yeah. time. I I think we are very much on 2019 level here. Uh, we got flooded with people. Uh, the the mood is positive. So uh, exciting week. Yeah. I hope for you too. <laughs> so you're telling me that it was actually bigger before, even larger. Yes. Yeah. We. I think the the whole event is. I would estimate around 20% smaller than it is uh, been or has been uh, three years ago. Mm. But uh, it depends a bit that we're missing visitors from China, from uh, the US, North American area, but uh, really the rest of the world is uh, strongly represented and you see it outside, uh, it's just a flood of people coming in. Yeah, Yeah, especially at lunchtime. I I walked out and came back around two o'clock and it was like just a herd, an ocean of people trying to, I'm just looking at the stands, trying to navigate which direction I'm going, so. Uh, but yeah, there was some big brands that weren't here as well that I noticed um, when I was walking through like some of the Axis companies. I think Caterpillars, um, like they've joined up with, uh, with Zeppelin. So, yeah, I, yeah. Think, I think we have some, uh, some of the bigger names, uh, yes, uh, did miss out. But yeah, at the end, Caterpillar, Zeppelin represents Caterpillar in, uh, I think, 10 to 15 countries around Europe. So they basically uh, have the same setup uh, than before. It's just on the Zeppelin name. but. Uh, they are there. Uh, then you can see that some of the big European brands, uh, Leaper is quite uh, big here compared to their global <laughs> it's presence. Crazy. It's It's home show. And same for us. That's uh, We're the home player here. We are in Munich. And for us, I think uh, we also are giving a quite a big impression here on the, on the show. Oh, that's very impressive. So maybe just for the audience. So I'll probably say three quarters of our audience are from Australia. So they're probably thinking, who is this Alex person that, I'm, that we've got on the podcast? Maybe just want to introduce yourself yeah. first. Yeah, as a, officially, yes, Alex Kreschner. I'm uh, the CSO of uh, the Wackerneusen Group. I'm here uh, since nine years in the company, um, having different jobs and since six years now in this, uh, in this field. Before I was also in the industry uh, with the Aman Group for uh, more than 17 years and basically my whole professional history started, interesting enough, in Australia in 95. I was uh, on an internship from my university uh, visiting Australia on a project to make a market research on uh, compaction equipment and uh, was allowed to spend really uh, nine months in your uh, beautiful country. And I think since then uh, there is something going on. Uh, I did never qualify for an Aussie passport, but uh, <laughs> but at least I'm allowed to visit on a regular basis. Yeah, that's very nice. And I heard that you, uh, you were involved with your father, with his business originally as well, yeah? Yes, yeah, that was basically the original uh, setup. My father was in this, uh, in this world. 
uh, in construction equipment, in compaction, and uh, it was for that company where I made my first uh, move into Australia. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Wow. And so, how did the progression go from there? Did we? Like, how did you get involved in that business? Was it just because your father brought you in or you showed interest? Like, how did that... No, basically at that time, our our business uh, was sold out to the Amman Group. And uh, the Amman Group at that time was not represented at all in uh, in Australia. So my little market research as a student uh, became a reality. And uh, I, I got basically hired by Amman afterwards, uh, started my career there in uh, Switzerland uh, for a couple of years. Then I was in uh, Germany representing one of our brands. And then I made a move to the States. I lived with my family in the US, started Amman America in the end of 90s and got back to uh, Europe uh, beginning 2003-04. Uh, and uh, from there on, it was always uh, this Australian uh, connection. But I think, yeah, the first, the first impact was done before me. That was when Ramex, which is the company of my father, uh, was already represented for, uh, well, since the, the 80s in Australia. Mm. And that's how I got introduced to a lot of Aussie players, rental companies and uh, was the base to build up uh, the larger roller business for uh, for Amman over many years and uh, since now, yeah, I said nine years here with the Wakanoi Zone Group, yeah. Yeah, and so what were some of the role progressions that you had? Um, so when, for example, like when your father and you sold the business to Amman, like what was your progression for roles? Ah, for me, it was I, I started in uh, in uh, well a trainee. Then uh, from there, I went into product management for compaction equipment. Uh, then I was well drafted, selected, however you want to call it. I was as I said allowed to build up uh, a company from scratch in the U.S. So I had a famous title, being a CEO with 29 years. But uh, at the end, I was a CEO of myself for the first <laughs> two months. Uh, then we were able to uh, build up an uh, interesting business size with uh, close to 50 million uh, US dollars in uh, revenues, 100 people. And uh, from there, I moved back into Switzerland and I well was allowed to take the position as a global sales manager, as a VP sales marketing in the uh, Amman group for uh, their uh, construction equipment. And uh, well, then... There are headhunters in the world and uh, there, there came a call and uh, I was invited to join the uh, Wacker Neuson group and uh, there I started uh, in the Wacker world as the first part of our group as I think known in the industry for light equipment, small compaction equipment uh, mostly uh, where I was heading the German and uh, Asian uh, manufacturing areas. And then uh, six years ago, I was invited to join the executive board as a CSO in mm. the group. Yeah, yeah, very nice. So, so all those those progressions, because there was a consistent improvement in your roles and your expansion. Like, what do you think was like the? What what, what do you think drove you and the, to have the success in those roles? Mm. I think I think every role was uh, very interesting, and it was each of them that was uh, so different to the previous one that there was so much uh, curiosity, so much interest in uh, developing and involving that uh, this this was the driver, and uh, that uh, always you, you kept on uh, 
learning, taking new decisions, meeting new people, and uh, at the end, uh, obviously, what the red line that was always with me through all these positions was compaction equipment, and this is kind of uh, well in my veins. It's coming from the family already, and uh, for me, that was in in many cases. Uh, a door opener uh, in many cases now after 25 official years in the business it's obviously a, a community around the globe uh, it's not thousands of people it's hundreds and at some point you just know each other uh, you have a very interesting network and that is obviously always facilitating to move on to find new uh, challenges and uh, and ad- adventures yeah yeah i was actually talking about part of this topic earlier today around advice to young people that are getting into organization and we're saying the ability just to be curious and just be interested and just uh just have a have a, have a crack like have a be interested and in, in learn and, yes. and put yourself out there uh i think it's like it plays a huge part in the direction of your career and what you're doing i think and and you're never you're never too old for that uh, that's uh, for the young people it's important to understand but you have to keep it all lifelong i think when you when you stop learning uh, you stop developing and uh, i think a career a career doesn't uh, end at 40 uh, that's why i said you you stay open and uh, learn and i think that that is for me also that is my driver my very personal mm. motivation uh, to go into every day yeah, yeah. So maybe I'd be interested just to dive into the history of Wackenhuisen just for a little bit, just to understand uh, the origins of the company. So, so how did the company start and where did it come from? And just give that background. I think uh, I, I tried to structure it somehow and I would say the company has uh, four roots, which are the four brands that are out there today. And I would start with the Wacker world because Wacker is uh, the oldest name. It's from 1848 when uh, the family Wacker started the uh, a business uh, as a as a locksmith basically and uh, developed then more and more into a industrial manufacturing this was all located in the eastern part of germany uh, and then for plus minus 100 years the family was developing this business unfortunately lost everything after the second world war so 100 years later 1946 the family decided with the eastern part of Germany, let's say, getting closer and closer with Russia and then leading at the end to the isolated uh, eastern Germany. The family basically took uh, blueprints, whatever they could carry, made it over uh, to the Munich area and started in uh, 1949 again from scratch. So really after 100 years of developing back to zero again. So. Uh, they are uh, they they that's also basically the roots of our uh, munich offices and the factories close to munich that is the wacker family mm. um then uh, the the second oldest part is called kramer uh, kramer uh, is a famous german brand for uh, wheel loaders and telescopics they will celebrate their 100th birthday in two years so also there we go back to 1905 uh sorry 1925 sorry for that and uh, yes, they started typically for a uh, loader and agriculture company with a tractor. So uh, the first thing they were manufacturing were agriculture tractors. And then uh, in the 60s, they came out with their first uh, wheel loaders and developed this way. The, the next one was in the early 70s, the company called Weidemann. 
this brand today we are still using red color vitamin brand is our own agriculture brand also for very small compact loaders in the dairy industry also a family business family name and then last but not least Noison, which is the second part of the Wacker Noison group Noison uh, is, is basically the youngest company they started in the early 80s as a hydraulic companies hydraulic specialist developed the first uh, compact excavator and uh, developed into this big part and how how the group itself formed was that uh, Wacker the Wacker family at some time bought the Weidemann business mm. uh, 2000-2005 uh, at the same time independently noise owned it by the Kramer business very much the same time and then uh, 2008 both groups uh, melted and merged together into the uh, Wacker Neuson group with all the four brands that we are today still uh, producing and uh, marketing in the world. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. So so when they they lost everything after a hundred years, like talk me through the, the comeback, like coming back from something like that. Like how did how did how did you how did the family the control like the fear and all sort of stuff and actually build something back up together? Have you heard much about that? I think it's it's a it's a very entrepreneurial spirit in this family until today, and we talk today with the seventh generation, and uh, it's uh, I think the the main main what what is always impressive for me is when they restarted after uh, the war, uh, they immediately decided uh, to uh, internationalize. So they said, we will never put everything into one pocket, into one country again, uh, so we don't have the risk to lose everything. So Wacker is now uh, 65 years in North America as a manufacturer. This is by far the first uh, German construction equipment manufacturer with a base in the US. But they went in the 50s to Japan, to the Philippines. They went very soon, 50 years ago, to Chile. They, they really spread around the globe. I think it uh, this whole difficult time after the war basically encouraged them uh, to to do this uh, diversification on the continents and countries. Mm. I think uh, Wacker Australia goes back to the 60s, so we are more than uh, 50 years there. At some point, we were manufacturing in Australia even. So uh, that was, I think, for for the business from today's perspective was a perfect move to uh, build the base for yeah. a global uh, global leading company yeah, yeah cuz really like the like looking at a, a positive out of a negative it's truly become a, a world brand just through that that pain uh, and it's grown so that's that's a, that's a crazy story wow so so what's the go with the stand so is there any products that you think uh, you want to highlight today it's difficult when you look outside the view you have around I don't know 130 150 products on display if you ask me a sales guy each one is a highlight <laughs> obviously um, but uh, for us yeah we have we have uh, I think in the, in the center of our booth are uh, our full battery electric products that's a, a big thing for us in the Wacker Neuson we we have started this uh, really eight years ago I think I think we can say that we are really in a, in a very much leading and trendsetting position here when you look on the range of products that we offer already today with battery electric. But then also a, a big area is, uh, well, the steel, 
the 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 yellow steel as mm. our excavators, our uh, wheel loaders. We we show a great flagship on the excavator size uh, of 10 tons on wheeled excavators, really with uh, top notch uh, technology on controls. It's not the classic hydraulics anymore. You have electro hydraulics. You have assisting systems on these machines. So it's really a, a broad spread because again this display you have it every three years only yeah and that's so it's loaded with innovation but another very important thing that i think becomes more serious this time compared to three or six years ago is uh, the type of digitization and uh, digital products where i would say in the in the past it was a lot of uh, yeah, gimmicks and funny stuff, uh, Googles, Google mm. Glasses, stuff like that. I think today when you when you go over the booth, there are really some uh, exceptional uh, products out there that are real products. So it's not just a nice uh, screen and uh, funky things yeah. happening. It's really stuff with customer benefits. So it's a very broad, uh, broad range of products, services, digital stuff. So, so maybe let's dive into that digital side a little bit. So, so what are some of the technology that you're presenting at the show? I think for, for us, uh, a very important thing is everything that has to do with telematics. Telematics means, uh, well, you connect machines, you, you have the machines talking to you. So use the, and how to use this uh, to improve your business, I think is the main thing that uh, a lot of companies or basically everybody is able to offer a telematic system that is sending some data to a cloud and okay what happens then that's uh, and i think that's where you create business value and a very important uh, product for us we call it uh, equipcare pro it's uh, basically a tool that is consolidating all the telematic machines of a fleet of a contract or rental fleet independent of the brand and make so if you run Wackernoisum product, Volvo product, a Caterpillar product, doesn't matter, all of these machines will be visible on one individual tool. And I think there we open very much uh, to an industry, as to a standard that allows any rental fleet, any, any dealership uh, or a contractor with a larger fleet to have all these machines visible. Visibility is one thing, but uh, I think interesting uh, is then when you start to manage your service, when you understand when a machine becomes due, when a machine tells you which parts it needs for maintenance, or if there is a breakdown, what is the failure, what is the issue, and if the system then, I think that's the famous link, connects from this Equipcare Pro, from the information, I have a problem, it gives then a connection to our digital uh, parts business where it obviously immediately offers you the right parts to solve the problem. Mm. You are in the, in the system already, a couple of clicks and you have the parts on yeah. the way to the machine. Yeah, and I think I, I like your point around the telematics where you don't want to just pick up the, the meter reading and then just, and we'll put a dot on the map because the solution is so much more than that, whether you're looking at fuel burn or scheduled maintenance or, or logistics or whatever it is that you want to try and plan out within your business. And I think a lot of those technology companies that were focused just on dots on a map yeah. uh, are falling behind or have already fallen behind. It's the ones that are trying to find those those little niche uh, solutions that can actually make a big difference. Yeah, I think you need you need to, behind each clo uh, behind each digital product at the end you need you need a business case as a, as a finance guy you need a business case but mm. 
be simple said, but at the end, that's at the end the, the reality that drives our customers. And uh, in, when we in the past, uh, the service technicians always had multiple trips to see a machine that is broken down. The first trip was just to figure out what is the issue. The next trip, they come by, have hopefully the right spare parts with them. And when it's all fixed, in their mind, it's hopefully fixed. But if still something is wrong, the whole story repeats. Yeah. And today, if he can connect with the machine before leaving the workshop, he can carry parts with him, he can carry the right information with him. It solves tremendous time, it creates uptime for the customer, and at the end it saves just pure travel cost and time consuming. And especially with you from Australia, if you, you have some long distance trips yeah. sometimes to the machines, so you don't want to waste that time. Huh? Yeah, it's the stat that we use, it's called first time fix. So you want to get to the site, you want to fix it the first time. Once you start doing like repeat visits and whatnot, the, exactly. the, the yes. cost of that servicing goes through the roof. So it's a really good point around using the telematics to try and help you make decisions around what is actually required from a, from a maintenance standpoint. Absolutely. So I want to touch on bringing in other brands into that solution as well. So was that something that your customers were asking for or was something that you decided to push? I think both. Also, it was. Uh, I think you you could feel when you when you visited a customer a rental fleet with uh, I don't know 50 to 100 suppliers. You came by. You told them, "Hey, great. See, this is a vacuum noise telematic system. It's called Equip Care, and it will do this and this." And the guy says, "Well, I have already 49 orders on my smartphone. I have basically no more space for another app." Mm. So. Uh, it, it was obvious, it was an obvious spot that uh, needed to be somehow covered and uh, I think uh, coincidence was it was developed by a large German dealer partner of ours that uh, founded out a uh, digital business and uh, these guys basically uh, we, we partnered uh, more than a year ago and uh, we took that idea up made it broader uh, international and used the Waka Noizo network to take it uh, now mm. into the European and global markets. Yeah, so. it's exciting. So what, are, what other technology solutions are floating around? Other stuff is uh, very interesting maybe also for Australia we, we, are, uh, we, we are promoting what we call smart glasses smart glasses uh, you picture a mechanic at the machine wearing uh, Google glasses and uh, being connected to a workshop expert that is seeing exactly what he has in his glasses in front of him on a big screen. Okay. He can guide the guy to do the diagnosis, the analysis, and even it can go the other way where the guy with the glasses has on one screen, a little screen, what the other guy puts on his uh, laptop in the workshop. So. He can give him instructions and the guy recognize live where he has to do, what he has to change, where he has to go to. And also there, it's it's not a gimmick anymore. As I mentioned in the beginning, we, we have uh, introduced this in South Africa, beginning of the year. Why South Africa? Uh, it's a high-tech uh, solution, but it's simplifying life dramatically. You have, again, South Africa, long distances, long distances to the machines. You have uh, enormous cost uh, when you have people traveling compared to labor costs. So you don't want to send mm. your service technician around. And basically, when you have issue on qualifying service technician with the support of these glasses, 
you can also help less qualified guys to fix problems and uh, all of our dealers in South Africa are working with this being connected to our entity to our experts in Johannesburg that are guiding them on solving the problem on the field we take that now into uh, the first European markets and I'm sure uh, if you take again Australia and you have a uh, a roller project somewhere in the, in the bush mm. uh, for sure it, it, it is it would be a great help before the guy yeah. gets back on his truck and drives four hours back to brisbane or and yeah. the next day returns again yeah so like my first thought was that it was fallen into that gimmick section yeah but this is something that actually has been rolled out in south africa and it's been out so what's been the response from the customer side they pay for it Okay. They pay for that's it. That's probably the first good step. I think. I think that, no, that, that's the that's the most important. Uh, when when they start, when a customer starts paying for it, that means it has value. Okay. And uh, and there is uh, there is no uh, really no free lunch. So when you enter this period with us, uh, you have to invest in the glasses. It's your glasses. You buy them. You invest, because that's again uh, the motivation for them to use it as well. And. Uh, for us, uh, it's great, and at the end, if you if you have uh, a dealer that has to fly five guys to a one-week training, you save a lot of money yeah, okay, that you can so spend in a couple of uh, glasses there and uh, have your people efficient. Yeah. Okay, and so how much do these glasses typically cost? Like you speak about uh, depending three to five thousand dollars, as a US Aussie, maybe sure. six to eight in that yeah. range. But again, compare it to a one ticket, airline ticket plus one week where you're sitting in a training session. So it will replace a lot. And, yeah. uh, and that doesn't even count uh, the savings in traveling to job sites and solving mm. problems. So Yeah, I'm really interested. I'll, I'll definitely put a, a hyperlink on the podcast to yeah. like a landing page because yeah. I think our audience would be pretty interested in just yeah. learning a bit more about that technology. Yeah. Cool. So, so what else is going on at the show? Is there uh, one of the things that always caught my attention with Wacker Newston is your dump trucks with the multi-directional ah, cabs, the dual view. The yeah, dual I view. feel like that's like, I don't know. When I think of Wacker, I always think of that machine. It's like the yeah. the one in my brain that always sticks out. Yeah. Um, but that's such an interesting technology or innovation that you added to the machine. Is that something that's like part of the, I guess, the core values within within Wacker? I think yes. I mean, we are we are. Every, every German or European manufacturer will tell you we are innovative. That's kind of our destiny. We have to be, but uh, in, in reality, and I think you picked a very good example, it's not a, a crazy, complex, complicated mm. innovation. It was a simple understanding of a customer problem on a dump truck that uh, on one side the operator needs to see his uh, skip when he's loading and unloading material. On the other side, he wants to go faster uh, driving around. And yeah, in the past, he was always looking into the skip and then he went backwards of, and, and had to look over his shoulders for, for miles. And it was simple. You need two positions in the cabin and uh, it was a mechanical fix in the digital world, but the mechanical fix was enough. And uh, the dual view, I think really gave us a, a major kick in this whole dumper and dump truck mm. industry and world because it opened a, a big area also in the in the whole road construction segment if you if you picture a one lane road uh, job well you go in uh, half a mile then you do your job and then you go backwards out half a mile here yeah. 
you turn the seat around 180 degrees and you're always driving forward. You don't have to uh, arrange the, the truck to turn around. You don't have to go backwards. You just turn your seat and you're always looking forward. And it's comfortable, but most important, I think, is the safest way to travel. Yeah. And uh, gives, gives uh, comfort not only to the operator, but the guys around on the job side too. Yeah, I agree. So like, but this isn't something new. I remember I was reading the history of Wackenusen and there's a, the compactor, I think it was the first company to have a multi-directional compactor as well. So yes. like, it's, it's not like it's a, like you said, it's a simple thing. Like that's another example of a simple thing to make like compacting much easier by changing directions. It is. I think the, that was in the, in the VACO, in the VACO world as that came out of the light equipment world, anything that's about soil compaction, you take the rammer, it was Wacker, you take the reversible plate, it was Wacker, you take the first remote controlled reversible plate, it was Wacker, mm. you take concrete vibration, electric and electronic, it was Wacker and uh, today if you look downstairs uh, you see the, the, the rammers, the plates, the concrete vibrators, the reversible plate, battery electric and we are the only people in the market that offer also this next i would say generation of uh, equipment uh, on the battery base mm. into it maybe one one thing there i would like to to pick a little bit on uh, the battery itself and uh, we, we call it the uh, battery one uh, that's the system we we are uh, we have developed and uh, we decided uh, two years ago again after uh, a lot of discussion with customers when all these manufacturers started to pop up with battery solutions and the customers were kind of okay if I decide for your system we're kind of stuck with this is the good system but if I want to change to a different brand I'm stuck with your batteries it's kind of the electric tool manufacturers yeah. where each of them tries to have one battery and 200 different products around it, but around their own brand. And what we decided uh, one year ago with Battery One, we opened to our competition. We opened the battery to all the other manufacturers in the compaction world. And at, at Bauma, you see at the uh, stands of uh, Bomac, of Mikasa, of uh, Dynapack, of Swepak, you find Battery One. and. Uh, it's one battery that you can use on all of our products, on all of the other brands' products. It can be used in a rammer, in a plate, on a backpack solution. If it's Bomac or Wacker Noison, doesn't matter. Mm. It doesn't matter which generation product from the last eight years. And that, in my mind, is an enormous benefit for customers. So they can still have their choice. Obviously, I always prefer them buying Wacker Noison, but... Uh, they choose their two, three brands that they like to select from, but they can always work it with the one mm. and the same battery. And, and it pushes the innovation as well. The more people that you Absolutely. open up, if you look at the electric car with, with Elon Musk and, and yes. Tesla, they were just like, here's the blueprint on how to make electric uh, batteries and, and use lithium batteries and all that sort of stuff. So like, they did that to try and push the market ahead. And I'm guessing you're in that similar boat where you want to try and push the market ahead and be the one that are innovating. I think they're... Yes, uh, we, we try to stay in this, in this uh, how to call it, uh, in this driver's seat somehow. And uh, there on the light equipment, it's really, yeah, it was not obvious, but it was a necessary solution uh, to, allow, to allow also this, this business become more and more electrified. Uh, and uh, 
I think uh, the next big step, uh, interesting one, will be on the excavators and loaders. There is, uh, you, you see it also on the booth, everything from uh, dumpers, tracked and wheeled, uh, the telehandlers, the wheel loaders, the excavators, battery electric. And uh, again there, because you will see at the Bauma show, maybe 200 manufacturers with an electric uh, mm. compact machine. And there it will be interesting uh, how we find a way there to get a customer optimized uh, solution. Uh, because there is still a, a broad uh, spectrum of battery solutions which can make it uh, sometimes hard for, yeah. a, for a user. How, how far away do you think that is from being like that fully electric? Because I think it, it's still like, obviously it, it's going to happen. It, it, the, the, the push is already there and it's going to happen. But how, how many years away do you think until I, it really I, takes so off. I can, I can give one fact, also for us is, uh, it is, it is uh, part of the reality. We have, uh, if you take really a model out of our range where we have a battery electric and a diesel solution as the small 1.5 excavator, the EC17 we call it, we have both and this year 20% of this product sale will be already battery electric. So 20% of all this 1.5 ton excavator is already battery electric mm. this year. So we see the, the conversion started, but again, it is very interesting for uh, medium, smaller companies because we can offer a complete range based on the same technology. So very often the smaller customers, they engage 100% with us across the complete range. And I think one other uh, game changer or one thing that supports this transition is that we also found a way to, uh, let's say, build a bit more than a machine. We, we focus on, we call it the fancy word uh, ecosystem, but uh, simply said, uh, we try also to take care of the, uh, of the power supply on the job side. Because at the end, you have five battery electric machines on the job side. Mm. They will be empty at some point and where do you get the power from and we have here on display a couple of uh, power banks as a large battery uh, storages that are mobile that can be brought to a job site that can charge uh, all type of machines and uh, basically then be, can be taken back into a larger uh, location where these mm. storages get recharged and so on so we need we need to invest more and more also into this, uh, as I said, ecosystem to offer a really full solution to the customer. Yeah. And I was walking around and I saw that there was some generator companies that are, are pushing hydrogen yes. now as well. Is that something that you've had much of a look at? I think we, we, do, we do look into it. Let's say we are a little bit in the, I, I never call it comfort zone where we are in, that would be lazy, but uh, we are in the position that we are mostly on light and compact equipment. So the horsepower range up to uh, 50, 60 horsepower, we are convinced that this part can be covered uh, with a battery solution. Larger engines, which we also have in our five, six metric tons and bigger machines, we also have to find uh, either hybrid or hydrogen solution. And hydrogen for us is uh, for sure a technology to bridge over the next 10 years in the meaning that hydrogen being used in the combustion engine as a more or less a modified diesel engine where you can use uh, hydrogen as a mm. fuel alternative. 
The next step will be hydrogen in the fuel cell as a really to replace the combustion engine and become a really zero emission machine. There I think we have a couple of years to go until the technology bit. is ready. And the other thing, as we spoke about the electric power supply, the core question is how to get hydrogen to a job site. Yeah. And that is, as of today, I think more complicated because the generators have always been on the job site. There was always electrical need on the job site. And uh, I think from that point, uh, the safety standards, all these things, infrastructure, logistics, that's all kind of established for electricity and power supply in that area. For hydrogen, there are some uh, substantial investments also in the on the government side that have to be uh, that have to be done. No? Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see how it pans out. But I think I agree, it's probably a decade away before it really, really takes off. I'll say, we'll let the people in the generator world manage that and, yes. and invest in the technology. So I like to also ask some questions around you personally, not um, just outside Wacker. So I like to talk about advice that you would give to your younger self. Uh, so it's, it's almost like thinking back, if you could talk to yourself 20 years ago and think about your career, like what would you say to yourself? Yeah. It depends in which in which situation you did catch me. There were always ups and downs, <laughs> but uh, I think uh, a main main thing is what we what we discussed also earlier is uh, really stay curious. That's that's the main driver. Uh, I think you can you can take take risks. I think and when you're young, you need to take some risks. And uh, I have three daughters. Uh, they are. Uh, well, uh, some of them already in the professional world. As my oldest daughter is uh, turning 30 next year. She uh, just finished uh, university, had uh, different degrees, was in and out of some jobs over the years. And uh, well, yeah, you have to encourage. I think the time today offers so much uh, in a geographical world, but also in the different industries that, uh, yeah, for their generation, to marry early into an industry or a business, I doubt that this is still the same that I experienced. So uh, I think they have to keep all their mind and eyes open. I have uh, another one that is 26. Uh, she She's um, already in the job. She, she went into the medical technologies and uh, she's doing a fantastic job in my mind there. And... Uh, you can only encourage and uh, strengthen. Uh, and then I have 20 year, 20 year old. Uh, she just left school and uh, she's a little bit overwhelmed in what's in front of her. I mean, there is, and it's not, uh, it's not to be scared, but it's so much choice and opportunity that uh, in many areas you're, you're, I think the kids are very often scared that they may take the wrong decision yeah. because there is so much to choose from. And uh, on the other side, I think, you have to try it. Just do it. Yeah. And uh, yes, if you if you fail, I did fail, and uh, it helps you to be better, learn from it, and uh, I think it's not a standard thing. I I had this experience in my life. There were good good jobs and difficult jobs and situations, and you keep on. Yeah. Yeah. You got to jump in the ocean to find out if it's cold. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's it. So. Um, now, over your career as well, if you we look back at some of the mentors and people that had an influence on you, who, who, what names jumped out at you, do you think? 
I think for me, uh, well, the, the, the main, uh, main name for me is, uh, is my father. Uh, he was uh, for me uh, really, well, the, the, the entrance, the initiation to join the industry. And uh, I was in the uh, end of the 70s. I was at my first Bauma with uh, seven years old. Wow. So this is my 19th Bauma now. I doubt there is anybody on our booth that have worked or visited more Baumath, but uh, yeah, it, it, it was uh, the, the main thing that opened this door to this industry. And then on the personality for me, he was also uh, one of three guys that really, uh, let's say, worked my character. And uh, I think it was always the, the modest, hands-on, uh, habit and attitude uh, that yeah whatever position you're in you're always a down-to-earth guy uh, be open treat everybody on eye level and uh, I think that's the most important uh, for me as well today then uh, the guy that uh, was crazy enough to send me to the States when I was 28 years old gave me a bank account some Swiss francs and told me start a distribution business for Amman in uh, in the US. Um, this is something I remind myself very often today when I meet the 28, 29 year old guys, girls and boys in front of me that are ambitious, that want uh, to evolve. Uh, it's something where you, are, you, you catch yourself often and say, well, it's only 28 years, 29. Are they able to do it? Do you have concerns? And I said, again, take the risk, support them, give them the chance. Like you said, throw them into the ocean. <laughs> They'll find out if it's too cold or too hot in the water. No sharks, uh, <laughs> at least in Europe. But um, I think that that is uh, the second one. And uh, the third one for me was uh, was a guy I worked for uh, 10 years in, uh, in Amman. Uh, and I can mention his name because he's back a colleague of mine as a Christian Striffler, who is today also in the Wackerneusung group. And I think uh, he teached me a lot about team building. It's a guy that is built on passion and uh, built on teams and people and how to involve, how to delegate, how to encourage and how to trust. and. Uh, that was a major driver and uh, funny enough uh, when uh, when I left Amman to join here we were a couple of years in competition and uh, then uh, four years ago he decided to join us and we traded kind of roles he was my boss for 10 years since four years I'm allowed to be his boss and uh, I think it works exactly because yes in the before and today we were always on eye level it didn't matter who is whose boss it was always a uh, friendship for sure, but also on the professional side. There was no hierarchy or uh, no bossy things. Uh, mm. And that's what I learned from him. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to go back to the 28 year old that went to America. Uh, how did you deal with that pressure? Honestly, I didn't feel pressure. It was, uh, it was, uh, I was so nervous and so motivated about the job itself. And so, uh, the opportunity was so big because at that time really the the company i worked for was not represented at all so i couldn't do worse than that so there was only a way forward and uh, that that was a huge opportunity and uh, i think the trust that they gave me to to go and to build up 
was encouraging enough and uh, there was really not too much pressure i think uh, i had a i was well i had a young family already i think that was uh, that was more on my mind uh, where i said there i had more concerns that uh, the two kids at this time and my wife feel okay feel comfortable get settled in the us and uh, enjoy the time there as I did. I mean, I was busy, I was working all day, but for them they had to start a, a new private life, uh, life and uh, there was, uh, at the end, that was the best experience ever. So yeah. uh, for them, I think that was, after uh, some years it was clear that this was the minor headache to have, there was no problem at all. That's nice. And so I, I want to go back to the comment around Balmer in the 70s. So what was it like attending Bamar in the 70s? Well, I, I remember uh, two things. First of all, it was in the middle of the city at the showground was where today the Oktoberfest takes mm. place. And it was it was basically Bamar was another Oktoberfest. And uh, the second thing I remember is that uh, all the people were wearing Bavarian dresses. Oh, so really? the guys were running around in the lederhosen <laughs> and uh, they were wearing funny hats and... Uh, even the non-Bavarian guys, it was kind of the dress code for Bauma at this time. So uh, I remember me as a, there are pictures of a 10-year-old guy wearing a Bavarian hat and a lederhosen and going with his dad to a Bauma oh, exhibition. Like, do you still so, have those photos? Yeah, I think I have oh, we'll them. We'll have to yeah. try and find those photos, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that can be the podcast photo for the, uh, for the episode. That's so funny. That's nice. All right, and finally, so how do you define success? Personally, success is uh, to be independent for me. That means I can be politically independent. I can be economically independent, which is a luxury. Both of them, I know it's easy that when you live in Germany, when you have a a good job uh, these are two things that uh, make your life initially easy but then uh, success is then up what you made out of it and uh, obviously business wise we are uh, we are looked at in figures i think when you 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 can feel it maybe here visiting for us as a company to have success is really to create culture to be a, a good company to work for if we if we achieve this in a first space then the figures will come anyway uh, and the other way around to say i want to have good figures but i don't care about culture and people won't work so i think that's the biggest investment we have to make uh, not the not the euros but uh, the culture the behavior the the treatment of our people of our colleagues mm. And uh, if, if this works, if the people choose us to work for, I think then we are a good company. Yeah. I, was, I had someone on the podcast a while ago and he said that if he can find the perfect team in any in a, a business, he can take that team and plonk them in any industry and have got the right drive and attitude and all that sort of stuff, that'll just make it a success. And I think that's probably like a lot of uh, insight for people that are trying to build businesses that if you ignore the culture eventually it'll start deteriorating from the inside and yeah. it's hard to it's hard to grow yes now i think it's uh it is exactly this as so the team and and you have to understand in in our group uh well there are many levels management levels um, department levels there is the board there is 
And important is that all of this gets into one team. And I think the challenge in such big companies or groups is really to uh, get all this uh, DNA through all the veins into all the hierarchies, into all the factories, into all the departments. If we get this done well, I'm fully with you. And uh, I mean, that's our job. We can, we can be the best guys on excavators on the board level or the best guy on rammers. For sure it helps. But uh, it would be illusionary. There will be always better engineer, other people. Where we have to be the best in and try to be the best in is to be good leaders. Find the right people, develop the right people, retain them, encourage them. Mm. And yeah, go, go with them uh, to the job every day. Yeah, very nice. All right, Alex. Well, thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. Thank you very much for mm. your trip to Europe, Mike. <laughs> very nice. <laughs> Thanks. Very nice.